Please be seated for our Bible reading. The first reading is taken from Psalm 42, longing for God and his help in distress. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at nights his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully, because the enemy oppresses me. As with the deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help. And my God. Continuing on Psalm 43, prayer to God in time of trouble. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. For those who are deceitful and unjust, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the impression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. These are the words of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Thank you, Stuart. Shall we pray together? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding to awaken our hearts, expand our minds, and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today marks the one-year anniversary. I don't know if you, you knew this, but it marks the one-year anniversary of when we stopped church services as we'd always known them, in this building and in St. George's. You know, I was estimating just yesterday that maybe as many as 40% of our church family across the various congregations have not been to a service in either building in the past 52 weeks. Now, while we may feel a, a brighter day is arriving, and of course, as we've also been able to meet online through that time and back in buildings uh, on occasions, although with, inst- with restrictions, and of course, as a church, we, we never close because a church is defined by its people, not its building. Nevertheless, something has been lost from not being able to meet in this building and in St. George's in ways that we would count as familiar. I don't know what that loss might be for you, but I'm sure you can complete the sentence to your own sense of loss. Maybe it's the fact, as as someone was, was saying to me this morning, not being able to sing. Maybe it's missing part of the church community aspect. Maybe it's that loss of touch. Maybe it's not being able to have communion in both elements. Maybe it's not seeing someone here. Maybe it's being unable to come and feel God's presence in these buildings. And of course, this sense of loss isn't just isolated to to church life, but all walks of life. If you remember two weeks ago, I gave that long list that I'm not going to repeat this morning. We've all experienced many kinds of loss over these past 12 months. And this is what my years as a priest have taught me. That we need to process. We need to articulate those feelings of loss. It's why, therefore, it's important and necessary to mark the passing of this Sunday throughout our services. You see, none of us ever imagined in our lifetimes this past year. In fact, if I'm honest, when I left this building in St. George's on Sunday the 8th of March, I left them with the assumption that the following Sunday would occur as it always had. And then the world changed, didn't it? And kind of overnight, everything changed. And we have been ever since, or have not been, adapting. So to help us mark this occasion and give us a voice and vocabulary to process our loss, we're exploring through this season of Lent four Psalms of Lament. Remember this Old Testament book of Psalms is is rich in wisdom. It's one Jesus knew very well. You know, if we read the Gospels of Jesus' life, we'll find that there's only one other book in the Old Testament that Jesus quoted from more often. Therefore, from listening 
to God's whispers and discerning his footprints, we've been led on this occasion to Psalm 42 and 43 on this one-year anniversary. Actually, there, we, there are two Psalms, but they're often classed by most people, certainly by the original Jewish people, as one Psalm. So let me just try and paint the picture facing this psalmist this morning and perhaps see if it resonates in any way with some of our experiences of this past year. You see, before us we see a man, a man who's lamenting because he's prevented from coming together with others and worship God in his familiar place, which for him was the the temple. Sound familiar right as we begin? We know this psalmist is a, is a Korahite. In other words, that meant that he's a descendant from, from the family of Korah, who were a Levitical family who worked under King David. In other words, that whole family would have worked in the temple. In all likelihood, he was possibly a singer, maybe even in the Jewish days called a worship leader. Now, we may not know whether the reference is, as you look at those perhaps in the psalm in verse 6, to this area of Mount Hermon, remembering the northern part of Israel, the highest point, if you like, in Israel. We don't know whether they're literal or whether they're metaphorical, but what we do know is this. It represented, both literally and metaphorically, the furthest point in Israel from the temple in Jerusalem. And equally, we may not know why the psalmist couldn't go to the temple, but what we do know is this. For whatever reason, he finds himself far away, isolated from the temple. And then he describes graphically throughout this psalm the impact of having his familiar worship ripped away from him, how it's left him. Firstly, we see a man who's, who's spiritually distanced from God. You know, in verse 1, he's suffering from spiritual dehydration where his longing for God only increases that intensity. He's in a real drought from which the deepest core of his being craves relief. He still believes in God, but he's experiencing the loss of meeting with the living God in ways he's always cherished. But not only is he spiritually distanced from God, he's also physically distanced from God. He's struggling to navigate his way through this fog of repeated disorientation in his life as he's swept along, we see in verses 6 and 7, from wave after wave and billow after billow of confusion. He's in a desolate place, a strange land, many miles from where he always knew of God, which has left him with kind of more questions than answers. Why, God, have you forgotten me? Where have you gone, God? But he's not only a man spiritually distanced from God and physically distanced from God, he's also a man emotionally distanced from God. He's bleeding out from this deadly wound of discouragement as his his adversity weighs heavily upon him. In verse 9, he's limping along, isn't he? Mournfully, losing step. You can kind of imagine it with every step he takes as the emotional blood sips out of his body. This was definitely not how following God was meant to be. And I just wonder, I just wonder, maybe ever found ourselves in any of those scenarios or something similar over this past year? 
Ever found ourselves spiritually distanced from God when we've not been able to meet together? Suffering like the, the psalmist is here, spiritual dehydration because we've not been able to worship God in this place that we cherish. Maybe one or two of us might have on occasions tried returning once or twice, but you sometimes hear these words, I hear them, oh, well, it's not the same. Maybe you've struggled along or perhaps stubbornly refused to worship through a screen. I know, it's not for everyone. Or ever found yourself over this past year physically distanced from God in this past year? Maybe you've, you've walked past this building and you've always noticed it for all your life with the door open and now on occasions, more often than not, you see it closed and you can't go in. Ever found yourself navigating the fog of repeated disorientation and you've maybe even started possibly to question, God, what on earth are you up to? Why, God, where have you gone, God? And we need to remember these words of Evelyn Underhill so much more. If God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. Or maybe it's this scene, found yourself emotionally distanced from God in this past year, bleeding out from the wound of discouragement. Maybe those taunts for you that have come have been more closer to home than for the psalmist. Sometimes they can leave us prioritizing other things above worship to God. You see, whether it's for any of those three reasons or a combination of all or a different reason, that's why we can't dismiss. We can never minimize. We can never deny how this past year has affected us and how it will keep going on affecting us for a long, long time to come. That's why we need these psalms of lament. Because they help us to process our loss, to bring that sorrow to God, to navigate the wilderness of our grief. But remember also, to remember knowing that God's love for us is unfailing because he is faithful and good. You see, last time we said a lament is a cry. A cry that gives a voice and vocabulary to our loss, but does not leave us wallowing in the pit. Because a lament is a cry, a cry of belief in a good God. Last time I said that the biblical scholars will tell us that in every lament psalm there are four common features. So let's see, that's why I've given you, it's easier to see it on a piece of paper on this psalm rather than a screen. Let's see if we can see how those four common features come out in this psalm. Remember I said how these four common features may appear once, but they could appear more than once, as is the case here. You see, firstly, we'll find that there's this address to God, or repeated addresses to God, as we see in this psalm. It could be, that could be wrapped up in a plea to God for a cry for help. It could be some sort of grand exaltation of God. And what we see here is these are repeated addresses to God, but notice these addresses to God. Notice how they're very personal. It's not our God or your God. It's my God. Do you see that? After verse 2 of Psalm 42, where he talks about the living God, look in verse 5 or verse 11 or verse 5 or verse 43. He talks about my God. In verse 8, he talks about the God of my life. In verse 9, he talks about my, re my rock. And in verse 2 of Psalm 43, my refuge, my hope, and my 
exceeding joy. The language is, is very personal. So you have this address, a repeated address to God. Then secondly, we have the lament itself. If you like, the description of the trouble, the definition of the crisis, the reason for the pain and our injustice. The laments are usually expressed in questioning ways. They begin with words like why, or how, or where. How long, O oh God? Or almost like as we see here, if you love me, God, why is this happening? Or as we definitely hear, see here, where have you gone, God? And what's running through this psalm is almost like this repetition of laments. There's the uncontrollable tears of verse 3. My tears have been my food. Day and night while people say to me continually, where is your God? There's the unstoppable waves of emotion in verse 7, isn't there? Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. Almost like imagine sometimes when you look out at the bear and you, you see those waves and how high they can be and almost try and imagine yourself just stuck in one of them, just getting blown all over the place. There's the unanswerable barrage of taunts, isn't there, in verse 10. So with a deadly wound in my bodies, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? And then into verse 2 of Psalm 43, there's the seeming absence of God. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of my enemy? There's the address to God, there's the lament. And thirdly, there's this urgent request to God for help. This is the plea, if you like. This is the petition. This is the prayer. Hear my prayer, God. Help me, God. It kind of is the part of the psalm that asks God to intervene, to ask God to work based upon his character. And in this psalm, what we see is that the main petition actually comes at the beginning of Psalm 43. In verse 1, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause, but especially in verse 3. Or send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. And then the final part of this psalm, remember, is this statement of confidence that despite the lamenting, despite the request for help, there's the confidence that God will act. It's a statement of trust in God, a statement of hope in God, and or a statement of praise in God. Often you'll see all three as we see here. And you may have noticed as Stuart read it, and you may see it now, how Psalm 42 and verse 5, how it's repeated in verse 11. And in verse 5 of Psalm 43, I don't know if you, you picked that out, it's exactly the same words. You know, when we think about maybe when we might have sung a hymn or a song, and there's a chorus. Think of it in, in, in that way at the end of each verse. It actually begins with another lament if you look at it. But it then contains the movement. The movement through the psalm. With him almost arguing with himself. That, and from his questioning and from his despair it leads him to hope. And a renewed orientation in God. You know the first half is full of questions isn't it? Because of the circumstances. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? 
And why are you disquieted within me? Yet in the second half, he's sure of only one thing. God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My help and my God. In other words, despite his circumstances and in spite of his difficulties, still I will. Still I will hope. Expressed in this longing of praise for God and for him to work. But back to the importance of marking today. In closing. You see, you may have noticed one more thing in this psalm. How it was the psalmist's own act of remembrance. Even amidst his present difficulties which strengthened him. You know, in verse 4, the psalmist remembers knowing the presence of God in worship. And we read, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And then in verse 6, this act of remembering secondly turns his thoughts to remembering not as such worshipping with people, but remembering God himself, the living God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you what does it mean to remember in this way from the scriptures what does it mean to remember God in this way see I've done a little bit of homework for you this morning it's actually very important and it's another reason why we can't let the date pass you see in the Old Testament there are more than 350 occasions That's a lot of occasions when the word remember is used. Forty of them are in the Psalms. Those numbers double if we add words like do not forget or keep to mind. And it reminds us therefore that to remember has a twofold context here. To remember is firstly more than just a memory. It's a call to action you see in the same way when the scriptures say and God remembered it didn't mean that God had forgotten it was in other words it was a sign of saying God was about to act so in remembering we are declaring with our actions we have not forgotten God he's not become a stranger to us and we will remain faithful to him you see remembering is never passive It's always active. And secondly, a call to remember is a form of proclamation and testimony. To remember God's wonderful acts and to proclaim them in the gathering of believers together. Did you see how Psalm 105, right at the start of our service, did that? How it recalled God's great acts. It's not about being nostalgic, which can increase the pain. It's to turn to God in the present, to encourage gratitude for what he's done in the past and reawaken faith where despondency might be present. And through it, we tap into spiritual energy of abiding in Jesus. You see, for this psalmist, this act of remembering is deeply moving. It leads him to pray what I've always considered is one of the most beautiful prayers in the whole of the Bible, never mind the Psalter. Or to be able to pray this prayer daily. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night 
His song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. It expresses what it means to pray. To be with Jesus in an ongoing, daily, never-ending living relationship with the living God who's real to me and gives me life. As Paul will remind us in the New Testament book of Romans, we too are transformed through acts of memory, through feeding our thoughts, through remembering because they renew our minds. As the psalmist says, I will act and turn from my old thoughts and keep remembering you, God. I'll keep feeding my mind on your divine truth. I'll keep dwelling on the promises of God and your great works. I'll keep recalling your endless mercies and your unchanging love turning our eyes upon Jesus because ultimately everyone's longing for God is met through Jesus Christ for he's God in human form it's only Jesus who satisfies the deepest longings we all have for God that's one of the most tragic things about being an atheist even the atheists will admit to having this longing for God and yet they talk of this barrenness of not being able to find him have you ever read any Bertrand Russell? We remember and declare it was Jesus, wasn't it? Who in the great Easter story, if you like, you could take parts of this psalm and just imagine Jesus in it. Who in his own soul was downcast in the garden of Gethsemane. And who suffered the disorientation of being abandoned and separated from God. Why God, where have you gone God? On the cross as he bore the sins of the world. My sin and your sin but we also proclaim through Jesus' death how God raised him back to life to inaugurate the great Christian hope of the resurrection and we feed on these memories and they bring us hope as the psalmist would say once more hope in God for I shall again praise him my help and my God in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.